You're listening to the Candare Podcast, your sidekick in the quest for knowledge, power, and entertainment. So strap yourselves in and prepare for victory! everyone and welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley and uh, very excited to give you guys this week's uh, episode. My guest today was a writer on shows like Happy Days, Mork and Mindy, The Jeffersons and many more. He's also the director on films like Snow Dogs, Are We There Yet, uh, The Spy Next Door, Beethoven, The Flintstones Movie. Uh, the Flintstones, Viva Rock Vegas, and uh, Jingle All the Way. I mean, holy hell. And not only was he the director of Jingle All the Way, he oversaw the design of Turbo Man himself. How freaking cool is that? He's a nationally recognized toy and pop culture collector, and he uh, has just put out a book called My Life and Toys, which perfectly catalogs his entire toy collection. Uh, beautiful, beautiful photography, not just quick snapshots. Uh, this book is art, but it's not just simply, uh, you know, a cataloging of a toy collection. It tells you why he has them and how it's uh, intertwined with his life. Such an interesting book. You're going to love it. Again, called My Life in Toys. I get to sit down and talk with writer, director, and author Brian Levant this week. And damn, what a great conversation it was. I get to talk with him about how he got his starts. Uh, some of his projects he's worked on, the toys he's collected over the years, and of course, his book, My Life and Toys, which once again, I strongly recommend, and I will be putting links uh, in the uh, episode notes so you guys can uh, get a copy for yourself. But before we cut over to the interview, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandairPod, on Instagram at Canned underscore Air, and on TikTok at Canned Air Podcast. That's something that Randy cultivated and we just kind of forgot about, but decided to blow the dust off and... Uh, you know, get to using it again, because it seems like that's where everybody's going. Twitter, I still follow up with and check on occasionally, but Instagram and TikTok are where we are primarily, and Facebook. And CandarePodcast.com. If you want to support the show, a few ways you can do it at CandarePodcast.com. There's a merch tab, t-shirts, mugs, hats, stickers, all kinds of stuff with our logo on it, and artwork uh, that uh, was made by Joshua Bellis, good friend of the show. If you guys are avid listeners, you know who he is. And they're like Candare artwork that's like uh, Simpsons inspired or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Star Wars. Very cool stuff. If you go to our Instagram, the very top pinned post uh, shows some examples of the uh, merchandise we have available there. And then our Patreon, where for 5 to $10 a month, you get access to a two, three, maybe four year old catalog that's just growing month by month. There's hours of entertainment on there. And for 5 to $10 a month, I think that's a good deal. I mean, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. I'll let you guys decide. Uh, and if you can't uh, support us financially, just leave us a review on your podcast player of choice because that really helps out quite a bit. And uh, who else do I need to shout out? And the Evergreen Podcast Network, the network we're very proud to be a part of uh, with a lot of other great shows. So check them out at evergreenpodcasts.com. And uh, coming up, our 500th episode, ladies and gentlemen. It's hard to believe it's been 500 episodes slash 10 years. It's October. It's going to be our 10-year anniversary. So we're just celebrating 500 episodes in 10 years all at once. And I think that's going to drop come the end of August. 
So keep an eye out for that. And if you have any suggestions of things that should go in the show, because we, we always look back over the past uh, episodes we've done and find some of our favorite moments and then put them in those 100th episodes. Just kind of like a clip show of our best moments. If you have any of those moments, let us know. We'd love to uh, hear them and we'll include them in the show. Just go to candarepodcast.com and there's a place you can uh, reach out to us, a contact page, or you can just send your uh, ideas to info at candarepodcast.com or just leave, a me- leave us a message on Facebook or Instagram, something like that. You know how to get a hold of us. And I think that's everything. So let's just cut right over to my conversation with Brian Levance. Brian, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show today. It's an honor to talk to you, and it's awesome to see all those amazing toys behind you, man. Oh, this is just a, a, a fraction. This is this is just the stuff that's directly related to my work. <laughs> Right. I've I've seen some videos of your collection and just when ah, I think, have you? Okay. Yeah, just when I think, okay, that's gotta be it. There's more and there's more. And it's it's just you can see some of the toys behind me. There's even more on the wall here next to me. I, I don't collect like you collect. You collect things that are meaningful, they're pop car- culture artifacts, they mean something to you. Where I'm not saying this stuff doesn't mean something to me. Krusty the Clown it, means nothing to you? Now hang on, now, okay, I take that back. That one does mean uh, something to me. And that's so what these, I thought, okay. <laughs> and so do these turtles over here, but a good majority of it is just a collection of impulse buys, you know? But, that, well, me too, I have thousands of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I cannot wait to talk about your toys and your book, uh, My Life and Toys. And thank you for sending me a copy of that. Damn, it's been so interesting. I can't wait to get all the way through it. But before we do, I want to touch <laughs> on your career. Well, and- it's only 148 pages. I don't know what you've been doing with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> But before we touch on it, I want to touch on your career and, you know, how it got started. Some of the first stuff I could find about you from a very young age is that you wanted to work in the entertainment industry, making Super 8 movies at 10 years old, submitting jokes to a Chicago uh, children's program in third grade, and even had a TV show in high school. Could you uh, tell me what it is that spurred your interest in the entertainment industry at such a young age? I was very fortunate to be uh, among the first generation to truly grow up with images being shipped directly to your home. Right. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm just a little over 70 now. And when I was uh, born, Howdy Doody was already in its fourth season. Okay. <laughs> and, and Howdy Doody, a live action uh, marionette show with continuing storylines and great music and and true truly truly memorable uh performers uh right. set up an entire industry to entertain the children of the baby boom now i was also the oldest of five children so my mother had very little time to please my viewing <laughs> <laughs> so basically i fell in love with the notion of entertaining that I recognized, uh, you know, I, I was thrilled when I learned to tell time because then I'd know when the shows were, on. <laughs> you, know, you know, this is, this is, this is, you know, the, the, the kind of what, what, what a fan I was, what a participant in the television experiment that I was. And, and so, yes, I, I'm watching Howdy Doody and I'm also watch, watching, you know, Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop and Rough and Ready, sure. Hanna-Barbera's first cartoon show. But at the same time, I'm watching You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx. 
Oh wow! I, I, I'm I'm watching Ernie Kovacs, one of the great uh, uh, television comedy pioneers. You know, uh, I I watched the Three Stooges, all 187 shorts, <laughs> uh, and the features. My God, when they were uh, on a, a, you know when they were rediscovered, when they're I'll, I'll backtrack for just a minute, just a, a interesting sidebar about the Stooges that in uh, they were washed up. They were done after like whatever it was, their, their, their 25 years at Columbia. They were finished, washed up, out the door, and Columbia sold all the two-reelers to television. And kids discovered them anew. <laughs> and they went through the roof, and suddenly they're making movies, and there's uh, records, and car- ca- comic books, and cartoon shows. Yes. And... and, and <laughs> You know, and I really wasn't the biggest Stooges fan, but I've seen everything they've done 12 times. Uh, but, but, you know, you just had this constant exposure to to this entertainment. And, and it was uh, and, and, and I am not the only filmmaker from Chicago whose the tone of whose work all seems to be kind of slightly similar. And to me, it seems like a melding of the uh, 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 of the the anarchy comedy uh, the three stooges uh, uh, and, and our gang that you saw endlessly wrapped up back to back with with all this soft warm family tv the leave it to beavers the lassie yeah. uh, the, the fury you know and, and and when you look at my work uh, and you look at Robert Zemeckis and you look at John Hughes, people, you know, are all about the same age and grew up, you know, you know, uh, you know playing in the same uh, high school leagues. Right. <laughs> you see the threads of those uh, morning and after school programs uh, that they were fed and and this confluence of, of you know, Looney Tunes, you know, uh, spontaneity. Coupled with coupled with things with, with a tremendous amount of heart and, and and things that are usually built very well, uh, yeah. you know that that reflect a, a lot of time spent uh, learning these right. things. You know, I I can uh, now that you say that when I think about you know some of the films you've directed, I I can you know of course the Flintstones it's something you grew up with, but you know even like Jingle All the Way or Beethoven that same kind of a family friendly, you know, everyone's included kind of a... Uh, right. Yeah. Well, John Hughes wrote Be- Beethoven. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Did he really? Yes, he did. But he lost the script in his divorce with Universal <laughs> and they gave it to Ivan Reitman to produce. Okay. And, wow. and originally, no originally, John Hughes wanted to do Beethoven with John Candy. Uh, uh, yes. And and probably John Candy playing persnickety rather than Uncle Buck, uh, and and, uh, and and then they found Charles Grodin who was incredible. Uh, yes, he was. Just you know, and a very very talented, very funny man. You know, Beethoven was such a fluke. I wasn't the original director. They they got rid of the original director. Uh, he he had a mental block. He'd been gored by a dog like two years before and had three hundred and fifty stitches. And after like a week, they noticed that he never made a shot of the dog. He just couldn't do it. And so bye-bye. And I think I was the cheapest person they could get who was already on the lot. <laughs> uh, and uh, seriously. And so I came in and I didn't know anyone's name. It wasn't a crew that I'd hired. And, and uh, they had assembled 
an incredible cast with Charles Grodin, Bonnie Hunt, her very first thing out of Chicago, uh, Stanley oh, Tucci, that. Oliver Platt, uh, David Duchovny, Patricia Heaton, yes. <laughs> and, and the great Dean Jones, who was the star of those family-friendly Disney films of the early '60s. Uh, you know, Flub, uh, you know, uh, 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 the Shaggy Dog, and, right. and all the all those. Him and Fred McMurray. They, they you know, they were they were the warm dad uh, of Disneyland. And, anyways, and so I walked in and just had a great time. Uh, and working with Ivan, who was so talented and smart about comedy, and and, uh, and he had a great team, tremendous, uh, tremendously talented people. Uh, and you know, when you get into a situ- situation like that, uh, I was able to do probably the best work uh, of my career. Certainly, considering there was no prep. I mean, I read the script on Wednesday. I met with Ivan on Thursday, Groden on Friday, shooting on Monday. Wow. <laughs> you know? We just did it. And, you know, and Ivan said uh, to me in his, in his always sweet manner, uh, if something doesn't work, fix it. <laughs> you know? And so, Solid you know, we, we took that to heart and great, great stretches of the film are completely made it up on the spot. Uh, but you can't do that unless you have very talented uh, actors and, and people, you know, uh, Bonnie Hunt, you know, is a second city person, you know. Uh, It's the the easiest thing in the world for her to switch gears and try something different, you know? That movie was a staple in uh, our household when we were young. I love that film. It turned out so damn well. Yeah, no, I'm very, very, very proud of it. And the fact that it it changed the video industry. Beethoven was the first film that did not gross $100 million that was for sale as a sell-through meaning at an affordable price, not one of those $93 VHS tapes they used to have uh, <laughs> right. uh, available. Uh, and and it really did widen and, and increase the market in the long run, but, but it just was, was kind of like the poster boy for his, see, 58 million domestic, but almost twice that overseas, by the way, when wow. there were a lot, lot less theaters uh, and countries <laughs> showing these things, uh, which always pleased me when 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 uh, uh, most of my films did better overseas than domestically really? and yes and you know my litmus test for for my films is if you're in the theater and the sound went out could you follow it and, oh, <laughs> and, wow. and, yeah. and that's really kind of my goal uh you know is is to tell the story visually and and, it, and you should understand it from 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 what you see uh and i think that contributes uh, a, a lot to it being translating well with with, with audiences, especially family audiences overseas. So are you saying that Beethoven was one of the first, if not the first, like affordable VHS sales that was out there? That's when the price uh, uh, started uh, that to drop? That was not, that was not a film that grossed over a hundred million dollars. Yes. That's, that's crazy. So that's what, ni- 1992. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I bought my first uh, Betamax in what year? In uh, in seventy eight. <laughs> <laughs> in movie, yeah, movies were crazy expensive to own at home. I remember being very right. Young. Well, because they, but they, who would you rather? You rather wait for Joe Schmo to, to walk into Walmart and buy buy a copy? Are you going to sell two million copies to Blockbuster? Yeah. That they're going to fan out all over the country and you get your money up front, right? Cash on, on the barrel, uh, you know, 
Think about movies. You know, they've been waiting years to get that kind of recoupment on properties. And now they can get it all at once. That's crazy how quickly the industry can change. I mean, we've seen it change so many times within the past 40 years, but damn, that was a, that was a huge one. That was huge. Yes. And now, and now look, now look, what is it? One blockbuster and none left in the country. And, and, and there's a million streamers and, where the, will they be winnowed out uh, uh, like all the car companies were in the 1920s? <laughs> you know, you know. I mean, you know, is Paramount Plus the next Duesenberg? You know, <laughs> right. So before Beethoven, you know, you, you were writing on television shows that are iconic: Happy Days, Mork and Mindy, The Jeffersons, uh, Still the Beaver. Can you talk about? Uh, how that came to you, how you started writing on these TV shows. And in that, in the moment, making any of these shows, were any of you aware the impact they would have on uh, pop culture? I, uh, obviously, when I was in kindergarten, uh, watching the premiere of Leave it to Beaver, that uh, I couldn't have imagined that, that you know, oh, what was it, uh, 26, 26 years later or something, I would be at the creative helm of the show. You just can't, watching the premiere of the Flintstones in 19, you can't know, but your appreciation for these things lays a foundation for them happening. But uh, as, as I said, you know, as, as you said, I, I, I was training to be a filmmaker. I was studying structure. I was studying character. I mean, I mean it, when I was in college, I, I don't know how many Saturday nights I ever went out on. At one point, the Saturday night lineup, and this is pre, pre-taping, mind right. you. If any of your audience can remember that far back, <laughs> that the Saturday night lineup on CBS was all in the family, MASH, Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart, and Carol Burnett. Now, if that isn't a clinic in, 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 in comedy, right. uh, Brought, brought into your living room uh, uh, every every week. I don't know what is. I mean, that was just uh, you know seriously. That's the uh, some Mount Rushmore, <laughs> right? Seventies uh, uh, comedy, and and there it was all until they split it up. They got smart, put Mash on Mondays and, and stuff. Spread the audience uh, out throughout the week. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but I mean, it was, it was like you know the twenty seven Yankees. Uh, and, and how how do you not how do you not learn? From watching Jim Brooks and Bob Newhart, sure, <laughs> and, and and Harvey Corman, who I was lucky enough, and Lyle Wagner, who I worked with over the years. Wow. You know, <laughs> you've worked with some incredible people. Been very fortunate. But getting back to you know, starting in TV when I finished school, uh, I stayed behind a semester, wrote a spec script. My uh, then girlfriend, now wife, I been together like 49 years or something now moved to LA and within a few months I had actually started to make sales to the National Lampoon to a Danny Thomas series uh, that that didn't run very long called The Practice. Uh, We played an old Brooklyn physician uh, 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 whose son was a fancy Park Avenue doctor. Right. Uh, it was, a, it was, a, it was a re- actually a pretty good show and it was created. I can't remember his name right now. It's a guy who 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 wrote Arthur and who was a major talent uh, uh, blooming, truly blooming in, in sure. the industry. And, and I think he died of leukemia, very young. Uh, uh, but he bought my first story and then he left to do a movie 
and they never made the show. But then uh, I sold stories to Chico and the Man. I sold stories to the Jeffersons. Uh, uh, you know, and, and you know, I was pretty ballsy at, at, at 22. I got to tell you, I wrote a spec Jeffersons. I sent it over there, and I hadn't heard anything in about eight weeks. Right. So I just called up and I asked to speak to uh, to the, you know one of the executive producers. I can't remember which one I asked for. It wasn't the English guy. I know that. Uh, I knew he was me. Uh, uh, Nickel Ross and West. Bernie Ross was the nice guy. That's what I asked for. It was Bernie Ross. Uh, and uh, and Bernie Ross gets on the phone. I said, "Hi, I'm from, uh, uh, I wrote a spy. I just wondered if anyone there took a look at it." And I hear him cup his hand over the phone. And he goes. Anyone read a spake script? No, no, no. What should I do? Give them a story meeting. <laughs> and so they gave me a story meeting, and I sold them the first story that I pitched. Wow. And and, um, and then a few months later, I was taken to uh, Gary Marshall's house to play basketball on a Saturday morning. Seriously. And he had a great game for many years. Yeah, the first time I was there, you know, it, it, literally movie stars, writers, producers, electricians, trading elbows, ex-pro athletes. First time I was there, Elliot Gould and Jimmy Kahn uh, were playing. And, and they could both ball. And, and, you know, Kahn was one of those guys, <laughs> literally like the, you know, you know, hit, hit you in the chest under the boards, you know. Right. Uh, but, but I guarded Gary despite the fact I didn't realize he was six inches taller than me and had played at Northwestern. <laughs> uh, but I did block a couple of his shots. And after the, I said, what do you do? And, and I told him that I was uh, already in the Writers Guild and, and, and trying to be a comedy writer and that I'd known his name since I was 12 years old. <laughs> right. Uh, as a story editor on, on the Dick Van Dyke show and watched his, his other series, uh, 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 which at the time included Happy Days, which was in its third season already, and uh, uh, going into its fourth, uh, which would be the first season where they ended the season as a number one show. So uh, I came in, I didn't know how many stories you were supposed to bring. The rule of thumb is five or six. I brought I brought a season in. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they bought the first one of a very simple pitch. There's a new sheriff in town. And he wants to get rid of all the hoods in Milwaukee, including Fonzie. Uh, and that became AKA the Fonz. And I did a terrible job, really. And um, <laughs> and uh, they cut me off. And uh, Gary Marshall, when apprised uh, that I turned in a sucky script, asked to read it. He read it. He thought I, I had good ideas, but needed seasoning. And the week that they produced that show, they brought me in to work with the writers and sit and sh keep my mouth shut. I was told, even though I got a couple jokes in, uh, <laughs> and, and I was able to absorb the difference between being a, 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 an aspiring <laughs> filmmaker, a student filmmaker, what the difference was between where I was and what, what I needed to become, to be a professional. Sure. And it was, you know, and not just for me. I mean, Gary Marshall ran an amazing training ground. And if you look at all the people involved in his series over the years and the dozens of major television shows and films that have come out of the people uh, in that organization, it's actually it's actually quite impressive. Uh, uh, and I'm proud to have been one of them. So the next year they brought me back and I. Uh, Again, sold them the first idea that I pitched. 
And uh, this time when I turned it in, they called me back two hours later and offered me a staff job. Nice. <laughs> and I was there uh, and certainly at Paramount uh, uh, with Happy Days on and off for the next eight years. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, when I and I say it in the book, uh, I say when, when I went up the 29 stairs uh, at K building, I was still uh, I was still 23 years old and, wow. and had one family. And when I came down for the last time, I was almost 32 and I had two families, uh, the second being my happy days family. And uh, we're still uh, all very close and uh, spoken oh, really? to all of them in the, in the last couple months and spent hours uh, over at Henry's house and, and just loving to watch uh, uh, Henry on Barry, you know, oh, it, right. It's, it, you know, it, it's just so great to see how he's evolved from being the, one of the biggest stars on the planet to just simply one of the best goddamn actors sure. on the planet. <laughs> and it's amazing to me too that um, that he wasn't typecast as the Fonz, that he was able to still well, keep getting all when, these when, different rules. When, rules. Yes, but when the series first ended, there was a problem for a while. He knew it. And he put his energy into producing uh, uh, for, for a while there. And, and, and then, you know, things did happen. The almost 40 episodes, I think, of, of Arrested Development uh, is right. uh, Barry Zuckerhorn, uh, the blues uh, incompetent uh, attorney. And finally, he was replaced by Scott Baio. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, and, that, and Ron was the narrator of right. the show. So it was very happy day. So, and, and, he, and he also got an Emmy nomination for a, a trio of episodes he did on, on what was that David Kelly show uh, that, that Bill Shatner went on at the end? Uh, and Candace Bergen. They, they, oh, well, listen, uh, I can't even remember. There's I, so many of them. Uh, so many lost. Uh, <laughs> James Spader, that one. What, what the heck is that? I don't know. Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and Happy Days was a place you learned your craft. Uh, sure. And, from and the system that we worked under was basically a combination of the systems that were instituted on the Sid Caesar show, your show of shows, uh, which had the most brilliant writing staff in the history of, of, of the earth. Um, if you look back at the people who wrote for that show, Woody Allen, Mel Brooks, uh, wow. uh, uh, Mel Tolkien, who was the executive producer of All in the Family for, for 13 years. Uh, Neil Simon, his brother Danny, uh, uh, who were also the basis of Neil's play The Odd Couple. Uh, you, you had uh, Louise, Louise Kelhern, a rare female in the comedy industry in those days, who was the basis for the Rose Marie character on the Dick Van Dyke show. And then to wrap it up, you had Larry Gelbart, the creator of MASH and writer of plays like, like uh, uh, Sly Fox. And a funny thing happened on the way to the, the forum. Right. My mind keeps jumping back to something you said at the top of that is yeah. um, you couldn't believe how forward you were in your early 20s, picking up the phone and calling these people. And, you know, yeah. it's funny because I've over the past 10 years, I've talked to so many people in the industry like yourself. And though everyone's story is different, each story is like a fingerprint. But a lot of the same thing I hear is I can't believe I had the balls to make that move. <laughs> you know, uh, fortune favors the bold. Well, you know, um, 
I have been teaching uh, for the past six years at, at both the University of Arizona and the University of New Mexico. I just gave up New Mexico, uh, uh, simplify things a little bit. But, you know, I teach a class where I take a dozen kids and in 40 hours of class time, and certainly they spend a lot of time outside of class writing, but uh, we create, develop, write, rewrite, 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 and rewrite an original half hour pilot and then uh, do a staged reading with local and professional uh, student uh, and, and pro uh, performers for an audience. And uh, and I can tell you on, on day three, who are the people who have the confidence and the personality to get ahead, to, to figure out a way to get themselves to the head of the line? Sure. Who are gonna, you know, who are gonna climb over your back to get to the top of the ladder? <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know, tenacity is important. A, a, a thick skin, something I never quite mastered, uh, <laughs> is, is very is a very important trait. And and what do they think? Saying basketball, think like a goldfish. You know, forget it right. after ten seconds. You know, you can't worry about it. I'm not that person. But yeah, I I believed that I had the ability to compete, and 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 once again, you know, you could have fallen in with a completely different kind of group of people or none at all. Right. Instead, instead, I fell in with an organization that was built on passing on this knowledge that, that Carl Reiner acquired working on your show shows melding with Sheldon Leonard and Danny Thomas's the formula that they developed doing make room for daddy. Right. And, and also don't forget that Sheldon Leonard and, and Danny Thomas also own the Andy Griffith show as well, which ran about the same, well, actually much longer than the Van Dyke show. And, and so, you know, these guys, they were trained in an empire, Gary Marshall, Jerry Paris, who directed like all but 18 of the 255 Happy Days, who you know wow. directed Van Dyke and, and, and was uh, uh, played the neighbor, Jerry Halper, you know. Right. Um, and so, you know, they were generous with their knowledge in, in every way possible. And, and, you know, and it extended beyond the stage doors and, you know, there's a couple paths you can take <laughs> in Hollywood. And these guys were very family oriented and and created a esprit de corps and that, that was more like a family picnic than a workplace. Sure. Uh, and, and it carried over uh, into everything that, that we all did together. And and you know, you continue to pass on that, that knowledge to, right. to those you work with or as I, as I do with my students today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what an incredible uh, environment for learning. That, that's just crazy. We're going to take a quick break and jump to a quick commercial, but don't go anywhere. More with Brian when we return. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories, I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. 
My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. All right, let's jump over to the Flintstone movie. Uh, Whoa! <laughs> you looked a little startled there for a second. No, uh, no, I'm very, I, I, I did not know that it was like last week or something that uh, it was the 29th anniversary was it really? of, of the debut. Yes. I saw this on Instagram. I said, someone tagged me in a post. And I go, what? What? That was the the twenty fifth anniversary. The uh, the American Cinematheque did a lovely uh, uh, Sunday matinee. Uh, we had myself and, and Bill Sandell, the production designer, Dean Cundy, producers, a lot of people who worked on the film, uh, our editors, and everyone. Uh, we we had a great uh, screening. All all the, all, the, all many of the thirty three writers <laughs> who contributed really? to the script uh, and. Uh, we had a great then I said that's four years ago but actually uh, we're doing a screening uh in Los Angeles on June 12th at the at the historic Formosa Cafe I just uh, saw that again, on Instagram yes not I I uh, uh, ha- happy to do it um I've never been to the Formosa uh, uh I I always used to work at the studio the old Goldwyn studio by there, and I always wanted to go there, but you know, you're, you're sitting there, you're on a dubbing stage till two in the morning, and you go, "Nah, I don't really feel like getting Chinese now." Uh, but so, uh, happy about happy about that, and you know, and, and it's made me, uh, luckily for you, think about, well, what the hell am I going to say that I haven't said fifty thousand times? Right. <laughs> uh, 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 about about the Flintstones and 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 that experience, which. which like happy days was walking into uh you know the 27 Yankees locker room sure. with Spielberg and Kathy Kennedy and director of photography Dean Cundy and wow. and all the infrastructure of Amblin up and down the line the best and Stevens crew uh, Michael Lantieri who who, who uh, the year before had won the Oscar for Jurassic Park, for 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 the physical effects, right. uh, and working with ILM, who the year before had developed the technology that really allowed us to do Dino <laughs> and seventy five foot brontosauruses, and also the fact that what distinguishes the Flintstones today, I believe, is that you would never make the movie the same way today. We built over 6,000 costumes, props, That's incredible. sets, automobiles, <laughs> every, everything, literally the kitchen sink. Uh, yeah, because there's uh, nothing and, modern. I mean, they're modern items, but made to look like they're made of rock. So absolutely that, that, everything you see had to be. That's right. Yeah. And today, you know, I, I was watching a little bit of the new Ant-Man movie, and I'm thinking to myself, the whole movie's a blue screen. There, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing real. There's not a real character in here. I, I mean, I, I, I'm just surprised they didn't paint out Michael Douglas's hearing aid. You know, <laughs> uh, 
but, but uh, <laughs> you know, the, we built literally built it, and and I'm so sorry that Universal didn't have, especially with Viva Rock Vegas, where we in the in the in the quarry five miles north of Universal on the right. five. Believe right. it or not, everything in the Flintstones, with the exception of uh, three second unit shots, were shot in the in the zone, the thirty mile radius between Hollywood, uh, between Sunset and Vine, <laughs> you know, and, and around the whole movie. It's an impressive uh, set. I saw a video of it being built online. It's incredible. Yeah. Oh well, you know, we built into we built in the quarry. We built in the overflow parking lot at Vasquez Rocks State Park, which you've seen in Star Trek and a million Westerns, these giant Teutonic plates that grow uh, vertically out of the ground. And it's the most dynamic uh, background. You, you can ever, we shot days out there, built the whole Flintstones neighborhood there. Uh, you know, you know, I mean, you know, we built a half a mile. But anyways, having done that and seen that and knowing that we were going to build Rock Vegas, yeah. Why not build it so it could have been moved to the back lot and re I'm sorry to say this, replace Spartacus Square because you ask any 10-year-old uh, 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 <laughs> uh, 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 on the tour, what was the best picture of 1957? Oh, they're going to know that Spartacus. Uh, <laughs> but they they didn't. And uh and I I will say that they held on to all the props and cars for a long time before they finally said, oh, we're not doing any more of this. <laughs> so um, I know you've probably got asked this a million times. Did you get to keep any of the, the props from that film? I have a few of the maquettes from uh, from the Jim Henson Creature Shop. Okay. Uh, the first film was done by the Creature Shop. Stephen, Stephen really wanted me to use uh, the team they'd used for Jurassic Park. Yeah, seems like a great uh, idea too. Except for one thing, there wasn't a drop of whimsy to me in these people. They were brilliant puppeteers and builders. There wasn't any joy inherent in any of their work. And when I look at everything, the Henson Creature Shop and and and, and just Jim Henson Productions, it had warmth. It had a gentleness. It had a friendliness that I thought was the most important thing in creating this harmonious world where a man and animal live yeah. in service of one another. And I didn't think that they were capable of doing warm dinosaurs. Sure. You know, I'm sure, yeah. you know, we could have gone uh, around and around for weeks and weeks and weeks on this and they might have gotten close. I don't think that they could have ever accomplished what the Hensons did with their first efforts. Right. But their work had a warmth, and the people who worked there had a tremendous warmth. And there was a, 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 a the most creative place I've ever spent time yeah. <laughs> in my life. It's just an utter joy, and it's just like you know, li literally like like nineteenth century old factory uh, on, uh, on a river. And Camden, an oval road, uh, and it's freezing in there. It's freezing there in the summer. It's freezing. It's just cold in there, man. And uh, and there were just hundreds uh, of these smiling 
talented goddamn people everywhere you looked. Sure. Uh, <laughs> doing amazing things. Just, just, re- and what we did was ridiculous. You know, I mean, when you saw a Brontosaurus head to toe uh, in a wide shot, that was a CGI shot. There's only 53 CGI shots in right. the entire, in the entire film. Uh, the rest of it is animatronic. So most of the time, we we built a 28-foot-long brontosaurus neck face, you know, grab things, open his mouth, do all that stuff, which was based uh, with, with, with a with a with a also an animatronic tail that swung back and forth. And and we had the hump where uh, where Fred is sitting, uh, you know, in his whatever you call it, you know, under under the roof sure. there of, of his bronto crane. And so that we could shoot that from various angles and not reveal what it was. And in order to move this, there were, there were uh, 12 puppeteers and it was so big that it, we had to install railroad tracks for it to move. On. Wow. <laughs> and then, so you go from that scale to the six inch uh, uh, a bottle opener and the Coke machine, <laughs> which, which I voiced trying to imitate an old Hanna-Barbera voice. This jab sucks. Uh, <laughs> and you see great, the range, the you know, and even to do to do baby puss, the Flintstones saber toothed tiger, who you right. always just see briefly sure. <laughs> in the cartoon and briefly in the movie. Uh, uh, they had to develop uh, for the first time to make fur. They were good at dinosaur skin and, you know, the Terminator stuff. Right. Uh, <laughs> The T2, you know, kind of kind of <laughs> effects, but they'd never done first. So they had to invent that uh, entire process just just to do this. Uh, uh, and uh, so so the entire undertaking was creative on every end to create this world. And, and, and you know, certainly there are a lot of hands in that. But but everything did did kind of run through me. And it was up to me to find the balance in everything we did uh, between real and cartoony. Sure. And, and, like and keeping the feel that, of the and, original. And, and, and then with, right. So the, everything, you know, I think, I think the greatest achievement of the world is that it does seem like a world. Yeah. Uh, and it seems very complete uh, uh, to the eye and, and, and in tone and texture. Uh, sure. And, you know, and that really was the goal, because, you know, if you look at the Flintstones uh, on a scale of comedy, you're going to say, well, the Flintstones, well, it wasn't the funniest. <laughs> it, it was always well-intended, you know, you love the characters and stuff. Oh, yeah. But this wasn't Barney Miller. This wasn't Soap. Uh, this, <laughs> this wasn't even my favorite Martian. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and so, but what what delighted? was the world absolutely and, and and the relationships between the people and, and that 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 i believe was probably the toughest thing to capture and i think that's where we were most successful you know i look back at, at that cast and, and you know uh, and getting elizabeth taylor sure to do a small part and, and to get jonathan winters oh yeah uh, do a small part and jay leno to do a small part and sam raimi to do a small part <laughs> Uh, you know, it, everybody was just so great, and and uh, Stephen's team was so top rate. Right. Uh, once again, you know, you go from working with uh, in your own shop and TV to upping your game a tremendous amount 
working uh, alongside Ivan Reitman and his people. And yeah. then to, you know, to get a, a, on an extension ladder, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, to work with the, the whole Amblin right. universe. And, and, you know, I did four projects over there. Uh, uh, the two Flintstone movies, one that didn't go very unfortunate. Uh, uh, I missed that one. But uh, just a couple of weeks before production started on Casper, uh, Stephen came to me and asked me to uh, do what I'd done with the Flintstones and bring in uh, a group of comedy writers and redo the script for Casper weeks before they went into production. And uh, we basically, they had, they had a lot of good ideas. They just didn't know how to get from one to the next. And, right. and, and we really, we really tied that story together and made it, made it flow and, Tried to tried to uh, negate the fact the audience from realizing that Casper is really the story of a dead little boy. But <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And and another project that I I did for for Amblin after the the Prince's Trust, then Prince Charles, now King Charles, hosted the uh, London premiere of the Flintstones. And uh, and then from there, because uh, my family, I hadn't seen them in, in nearly two years of working on the Flintstones, uh, uh, we flew to to uh, an island in the Caribbean. And when we walked in the door, the phone was ringing and it's Spielberg Sunday. I'm sending the Warner Brothers jet for you. <laughs> what? Uh, they wow. were on day 54 of 52 of uh, a film called Little Giants, a uh, kind of the football version of the Bad News Bears. I remember that. This this was like, uh, I think, July 28th, something like that. The movie was coming out on October 8th, and it had a national preview the week before. So eight weeks to when I got to the set, I discovered that they'd only shot maybe 30 pages of this script. <laughs> and, and so once again, not knowing anybody's name. Right. <laughs> now, just went in and uh, played football and uh, uh, had a great time. And, uh, and, and, you know, and, and I really didn't have to worry about the fact that there were six editors <laughs> in Burbank working 18 hour shifts, sleeping on cots in the editing room. <laughs> what an incredible job to have though. How, how much fun that would be. Well, uh, I, it, it, it was uh, because like Beethoven, you were relying on your instincts. And and I love uh, uh, working with kids, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, the old joke is, you know, you know, stay away from kids and dogs. That's been my career uh, <laughs> when, when you think about it. Uh, yeah. And the, these things, they, they just seem very natural uh, to me to do a family comedy, to do a kid's sports movie. I've produced... The Bad News Bears TV show, for God's sakes, with, with Jack Warden and young Corey Feldman and Christoph yeah, St. Yeah. John and uh, 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 Nino Palouse, uh, whose, whose sister became Punky Brewster. Uh, oh, is that <laughs> right? Marcus from, from, from Mary Hartman. Yeah. No, we had great kids and, and it was a, a great job. Uh, Ron Levitt, who would go on to create Married with Children based on his own life. Uh, 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 we, we, had, we had a great time. You know, it was a, we had sold a pilot the year before. 
to, to uh, uh, well, we wrote it. We didn't own it. We, we didn't create it. We were asked to, to fix it. <laughs> and, and we fixed it and it made it and it ended up premiering after the Super Bowl. Uh, right. What year is it? I don't know. 1980, 81, something like that. <laughs> And uh, it was a horrible experience. <laughs> and so and so when that ended, uh, we were asked to, to go over to Bears, which was like a dream come true, you know. And right. when you talk about learning that in those days, there weren't young single camera directors. They were all old veterans. I was right. working Bill Asher. Who, who who directed half of, of uh, the I Love Lucy episodes and was married to, produced and directed Bewitched. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. And so everything I learned about directing kids came from Bill Asher. He was a genius at it. And, 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 and you know, and I worked for years with Bob Claver, who was not only the original director of Captain Kangaroo, another early influence, uh, uh, but... Uh, uh, was the uh, executive producer and director of the Partridge Family? <laughs> really? Yes, that yes. Was a good and, show you know, too. I enjoyed with, that. Yeah. So you, you work side by side with these real pros, and and you see you see what makes them successful. How they how they earn the crew's respect. How they how they earn the cast respect. How 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 they conduct themselves. How, how, and, 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 and then how they get the most out of a line or someone like Jerry Paris, who never failed to bring a scene to a boil. That, 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 was, that, was, that was his gift, that he wasn't satisfied with just normal energy or low key energy. I mean, he wanted, he wanted everything running. Yeah. He wanted performances at 11. Sure. <laughs> and, and, and it was successful in coaxing right. them out of people. I've got to jump back really quick to the Flintstones. Uh, in your book, uh, My yes. Life and Toys, you talk about, I believe, what is the night of the premiere, where after the film has shown, uh, you know, you have Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera watching. <laughs> and when the lights come up, this is, you, and I quote what you say in the book, when the lights came on, there were tears in their eyes. Though they were well into their 80s, they leapt to their feet and threw their arms around me like a son returned from war. In a way, I was their child. After all, we were practically raised by them. What an incredible feeling. Growing up with this show, you know, having it inspire you, and then <laughs> Bill and Joe, tears in their eyes, hugging you. Can you talk, elaborate a bit on that moment? Yeah, no. Uh, Amblin wanted to keep them at arm's distance about the script. They didn't want their take on it, really. And uh, so, so... They weren't involved in the production until we were well into the building phase. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and there was, David Kirshner had a camera crew that, there for this, and no one knows what happened to the footage. I'd love to get this footage because here's what happens. They arrive at Amblin, their separate drivers bring them there. They're <laughs> <laughs> partners. They didn't spend a lot of time together. Uh, uh, and and I picked them up in Barney's car. That was the first car that was finished. Oh wow! The, the double pencil, and it had a back seat, so we could get them both in. And and I picked them up at Amlet and drove them across the lot to stages 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22 that we had, so that I, that five, 10, over a hundred thousand square feet 
uh, wow. were devoted to construction of the Flintstones house and, and, and the offices and the cars and a wardrobe departments and every single object uh, 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 built out of wire and, and wood, uh, foamed, carved, hard-coated, and painted. And before we walked into the door of stage 17, I noticed how quiet they were, and I really, really got the feeling that they expected to be disappointed. And I see. Once, and once they walked in and they saw... <laughs> They saw the scale of the, and everything was enormous, right? right, you, know, right. you know how big the ribs are on the side of the car. So that's the scale <laughs> we, we were working from uh, on this movie. And they saw the fidelity to their vision carried out. Uh, right. uh, and, and, and they'd never had that experience. You know, they're, they're, this is well before the Scooby-Doo movies. Uh, right. And, and, Rest of it, you know, they'd never had a live action Hanna Barber. Excuse me, there was a banana split. <laughs> <laughs> not the same, but no, not the same. And pretty soon they were smiling and they were giving each other these old couple looks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> old and uh, and I always quote this because it's the only one I remembered. I was so nervous and so wanted it to go well, and. And uh, we got to the Flintstones bathroom and I said, here's their bathroom. And, and Bill Hanna points to, to the toilet and goes, there's no toilet paper. <laughs> and, and, and I said to Russell Bobbitt, our property master, Russell, uh, why don't you go get a roll of birch bark for, for Mr. Hanna? <laughs> <laughs> and we walked back out into the sunlight and uh, Joe Barbera, who was the coolest <laughs> 85-year-old man I'd ever seen in my life. Sure. Uh, uh, he really was. I, I mean, you know, he, think when you think of Rat Pack kind of people, this is, that's Joe. Okay. I mean, stylish dresser, dyeing his hair, walking perfect. Bill Hanna was getting to be a bit of an older man at that point. Right. But, you know, animators live forever anyways. Anyway, because <laughs> why? Because they love what they do. Right. My, mind you. Uh, anyways, so we walk out into the sunshine and Joe shake, shakes his head, said, never in my life did I ever expect to see anything like that. And, uh, and I told him we were just getting started and, and they had such a good time being in the film and wearing Flintstone clothes. <laughs> of course. And, and, you know, and, and we had Joe just a, a very small bit where uh, we had a, a car we built called the Maserati, uh, a two seater. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and Joe drove up, to the to the club, you know, tossed the keys to the uh, valet and had some hot girl on his arm walking in. He loved that. And uh, and a few weeks later, he sent me a cell of Fred Flintstone driving the Maserati. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, in a bedrock cop on a hill, you know, <laughs> you know, timing him. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, I bet that's probably framed in your collection somewhere there. Right? It, 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 just off stage here. Yeah. <laughs> what a cool souvenir to have. What a, And what an amazing story, man. What yeah, validation no, they were, they, that must have been. You know, these were, were people that, that I wanted to love um, because I loved what they did. And, right. and they never really, I mean, they did a lot of stuff and they did a lot of stuff that was below the Mendoza line, as we say in <laughs> baseball. Uh, but they never abandoned the core mission. 
which was uh, to, to entertain uh, and to do, for the most part, their their work was uh, so influenced by silent comedy. When you look at Tom and Jerry and, 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 oh, yeah. and Yogi Bear and Pixie and Dixie, life was like for Chaplin about finding your next meal and surviving. And, and that's what drove that. And, and all the wacky chases and, and stuff really harkens back to, to the Keystone Cops and, and, and Huckleberry Hounds dry with the with the with the with the hat was really lifted all from Buster Keaton and, and the great stone face uh and, wow. and the Flintstones is really they insisted when I nailed it, I said come on tell me the truth it's based on the honeymooners right no 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 really? no Laurel and Hardy they say Laurel and Hardy oh okay they say Laurel and Hardy the cast <laughs> but uh, the Flintstones is very much influenced by uh, Buster Keaton's, what was that, 1924-25 film, The Three Ages, which uh, it was a parody of Intolerance, D.W. Griffith's uh, time-traveling uh, uh, story okay. uh, about sin. And Buster Keaton was about a guy who couldn't get a girl in ancient Rome in prehistoric times and in contemporary <laughs> times or civil war or something like that. And so, but he was riding on dinosaurs. He was wearing a, a, a skin. He was carrying a club. Uh, there's a, an amazing piece in it. And I believe it took 58 takes where, where uh, the, the caveman who stole his woman uh, dragged her off by her hair, literally, is uh, throws throws a rock, you know, like this big sure. at Buster Keaton's head. Buster Keaton takes the club, hits it, hits the guy in the forehead, and he goes down. <laughs> <laughs> but they did stop motion stuff, very early stop motion stuff. They cut from Buster Keaton, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, bouncing up and down in a close up and go wide, and they'd do a figure on top of a brontosaurus uh, walking through frame, you know, and that's really where the Flintstones came from. And, you know, the Jetsons, as inventive as it was, uh, was, you know, the Flintstones was inspired and the Jetsons was inspired by the Flintstones success. Right. right. Let's see. No, in the book, I say, you know, it, the Jetsons has been around since 1962 now. So the 61 mm -hmm. years of the Jetsons, right? And they were canceled after one year. And in my new explanation. Seriously, was that right? Oh, yes. Yes. They made another wow. season uh, for syndication in the 80s, uh, in the early 80s, with the original cast, mind you, still old enough. <laughs> uh, still, still around. Janet Waldo is, you know, is playing Elroy. She's 94. Right. <laughs> You know, I, I say I say in the book that that you know they 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 were pretty good at prognosticating. You had boy bands uh, spending your day pressing buttons in front of a giant flat screen and, and right. zooming, right, <laughs> right, all the uh, uh, Roombas uh, that serve coffee. You know, except for the flying cars, they really did kind of nail us. Uh, and in in a world, you know, where there was nothing but instant photography and instant right. rice. <laughs> and, and, and every every instant tang you know uh, that maybe we saw the future and didn't like what we were going to become <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting way of thinking about it isn't it but 
You're right. You're absolutely right. There's a few things that we're still waiting on from the Jetsons, I think. But yeah, yeah, we yeah, health right. insurance. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take another quick commercial break, but stick around. More with Brian when we return. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Right on. This is Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast. On Ohio vs. the World, we'll travel back in time with the authors, historians, and even witnesses to visit the most exciting, consequential, and too often overlooked topics that have shaped America's history. There seems to be an Ohio connection to so many important moments. When you said uh, Ohio versus the world, we did some damage. So join us and we'll take a deep dive to enlighten, educate, and entertain you as Ohio vs. the World makes history fun again. Now, another thing you mentioned in your book is um, that right after the Flintstones, you were getting a lot of project offers and a lot of different uh, scripts came across your desk that uh, you didn't like or just weren't speaking to you until there was one that came across about a hit toy that everybody had to have the Christmas season, Jingle All the Way and Turbo Man. And, you know, not only did you get to direct that, but you oversaw the creation of Turbo Man himself. Well, why, why else would I do the movie if I didn't get to design the hottest selling toy in America? How freaking cool for a toy collector, though. And, and when you say it spoke to me, it spoke, it spoke to that shelf. Uh, <laughs> I have to move everything to a bigger spot now because literally Turbo Man, it, it's, it's been amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, for a movie that was a failure. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it hurt me. It hurt Arnold. It hurt everybody involved. Uh, uh, it, it really did because it was supposed to be a giant hit. And it was, you know, did three million more than Beethoven <laughs> and a lot <laughs> less overseas. Uh, right. uh, so, so, you know, it really did. It, it was hard to love it for a long time. Uh, I loved making the movie. I thought we had we had a great time. We had we had a very good team. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I, you know, it's almost like the Chris Columbus and Mark Radcliffe, his producers. They they were suspicious because we would finish our days on time and we were having fun, and that's not the way they were used to operating. <laughs> People are too happy here. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, and Arnold was on a what uh, a portal to portal twelve hour deal, meaning they pick you up in the morning, right? Okay, and you have to come in wherever you're reporting to. You're going to go through hair and makeup wardrobe. You're going to rehearse. <laughs> yeah, we're going to light. We're going to shoot, and we're going to have lunch, and 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 then he's got to be out of makeup, out of wardrobe in the car and back to where we picked him up within 12 hours. So, wow. so the, 
there were, you really had to finish your day. <laughs> right. Otherwise, you would have been in big trouble. But you see, that's that's another thing. You know, people were always kind of suspicious of me because I do things on schedule and budget. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, they always anticipate that you know they think you're more artistic if you're if you're if you're flout convention and say no, I want this to be perfect. I'm going to shoot an extra week. Right. You know, they kind of expect that more than. Uh, Hey, hey, hey guys, uh, I guess we, we, we wrapped early again today. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's you know, funny. but uh, anyway, let, let's just finish up. The, the irony of Jingle All the Way is that original Turbo Man figures mint in the box are available now for $800 when, as a Walmart exclusive, they did not fly off the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> that, that the Funko reissue of the 14 inch tiger toys turbo man yeah. with eight different sayings including it's turbo time was the hottest selling toy in america oh yeah <laughs> but a quarter of a century later so everything that we dreamed of happened just not not and, and it has become embedded in people's lives and, oh, and yeah. i first started noticing it years ago when people would bring me these worn out VHS tapes to sign, saying, my family, we watch this every Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I've got a copy of it on DVD and it's, it's one of the Christmas uh, movies that gets brought out every season. It's become well, a uh, classic. I hope you, oh, well, thank you. But I hope you have the family fun edition, which is the director's cut that they didn't want to call the director's cut, which adds to several scenes and ties the, post-credit scene to the body of the film where it's much more effective <laughs> no i don't think i do i don't think i've uh -huh. seen that it's still available on amazon for like 9.99 but on the blu-ray you can get both versions actually i'll have to keep an eye out for that because i <laughs> yeah. definitely want to see that i want to see that and it, you know to find because i saw turbo man on the shelf myself and i was beside myself i was texting my friends who are also toy collectors i believe we even mentioned it on the show how incredible <laughs> 25 years later, I, I, I imagine there's a, at least two or three of them in your house somewhere. I have one original, two original, I'm sorry, two original, and I have the original molds. Uh, wow. I have, uh, uh, you know, a full set of the original figures, although there were ones that we built for the commercial that were, that were you know, um, what do you call it, where they moved, you know, sure. the arms and legs and everything, the head moved. Uh, but the ones I have were just for display purposes. I see. Uh, and that's the mold I, I have as well. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I I gave, if anyone wants a Turbo Man figure, an original Turbo Man figure from the original <laughs> plans, uh, at rumor, R-U-M-O-U-R, Skywalker uh, on Instagram, uh, uh, a lovely young Japanese kid by the name of Kasai, uh, he uh, belongs to, and you can join a club where you can get an exact duplicate scanned from my figures. <laughs> Seriously. Yes. And also he, he has, he also has Dementor booster and coming soon, a life-size uh, uh, bust of Arnold in the suit. <laughs> life-size. Wow. Yes. I can't imagine that's cheap. No, but uh, it's a lot cheaper than, <laughs> than Getting an original yeah, Turbo Man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> wow. And I'm going to have to look into that. The, the work is sensational. 
And, you know, they also scanned my original box and recreate that perfectly. When I was a kid, you know, it's so funny. The design of that figure is so perfect in the way the movie presented it because I had never heard of a Turbo Man. I didn't know who the hell Turbo <laughs> Man was, but when I was a kid, man, I wanted one badly. <laughs> and, you know, well, just a testament to the design. Well, here's, here's what I have to say about it. We spent a tremendous amount of time trying to do a slick version of Commando Cody, you know, had the okay. rocket pack and bullet-shaped helmet, yeah. uh, you know, and, and uh, at one point we actually we actually tested a jetpack which would actually produce its own flames before we realized putting putting a a, a bomb on the back of the future governor <laughs> of California's back was a bad idea. Uh, we tested that seriously. Uh, I believe and, you. And we CG, we CGI'd the flames, and it's a good thing. Uh, but you know, we were so intent on getting a, a completely original superhero suit, and every time we turned around, no, no, that's Green Lantern. No, no, that's Doctor Fate. Oh yeah. no, that, that's a Doctor Midnight. Uh, and 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 finally, we were so happy with it, and then. When I saw it all on the shelves to, for the first time, the set dressing, all of them together, I said, shit, it looks a lot like Iron Man, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe some colors, but, you know, I mean, it, it still stands on its own pretty damn well. Yes. No, no. I, 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 uh, Tur Turbo Man, uh, you know, I have the original parade figure in my office on the other side. Wow. And it's in a beautiful plexiglass box. And I have to confess that for over 20 years, it sat in a case on a shelf in my garage. I didn't want to see it. I didn't, well, I I didn't want to be why. reminded. I understand. I understand and why. well, that's that's just it. You know, it it's changed people like you, people who love the film. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be a huge swath of people who really do, and, and and that's so redeeming. And where 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 were you in '96? Uh, but it, it it has been wonderful, and it changed my appreciation of, of the film, and thus put putting Turbo Man where I can sit and look at him all day. Sure. <laughs> and people can also take a look at your figures in uh, the book we've also been talking oh, yeah. about well, the whole time: know, My Life and Toys. Uh, you know. I was very fortunate that my sister married a very talented commercial photographer who's shot, for instance, uh, virtually every Subway sandwich you've seen on a billboard, a magazine ad in store, oh, and the really? windows behind the counter for the past 16 years and does nothing but shoot sweaty Coke bottles and bowls <laughs> of cereal and pizza uh, and stuff. And uh, it took it took nine years. Uh, wow. But, uh, we he took over over seven thousand photographs, uh, of which there's over eleven hundred uh, in in the film and in the film in the in the book. In the book. Oh my yeah. goodness! Uh, <laughs> it, it, it seems like a film. It's an epic. And no matter how you you know, it's a coffee table book the size of a coffee table. It, it, it's almost eight pounds, and and uh, um, it's a it's a labor of love. And and I wanted audiences to. See feel what I feel um, yeah. for the characters and toys uh, that mean something to me. Uh, and, you know, 
there's some there's a whole jingle chapter yeah. <laughs> with all the jingle merchandise and all and a lot of fan art that, that people have been so kind uh, uh, to contribute to the book. Uh, and friends in the Flintstones, there are 60 pages right. uh, of, of, of Flintstones, for instance, uh, in the book and chapters on, on, on howdy doody and sci-fi and, and, and uh, silent comedians and, and, and old TV shows, uh, Westerns. Uh, it, 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 it really is a sifter of all, my interests and influences and how they've been expressed through my yeah. collecting. And, uh, uh, it's gorgeous. Very it's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, thank you. You know, uh, it was very tough to find a, a publisher for one thing. I didn't want to do a 200 page book right? <laughs> and I wanted to design it. I wanted to be responsible. Like I got like in a movie for every inch of it, for every image and to try and tell a story and create a flow. And, and I found, I found the process much like, much like editing a film to tell you the truth that you take all these images and you, you try and make it flow and, and have one shot lead to another and, and, and bring things to, to, a, to a close and move on to the next section. And right. uh, very, very exciting. And, and, you know, at this point in my life, it was great to have a new experience that you know as, as we said today i've been doing basically the same things in many different forms for <laughs> you know for 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 like, like five six decades uh you know uh working in the 70s 80s 90s uh, right. 2000, 2000, 2000 holy cow uh, sure uh, uh, you know that's a long career so to do something new and exciting uh, really was uh, uh, different, and and I enjoy it. And there's more books coming, and I wish I could even tell you the next one that, that we haven't signed the contract. And I've learned over the years you don't say anything until that, but we can right. come back and talk about it. And there's another one on deck behind that, so uh, there'll be more. Uh, but please don't let that stop you from enjoying my life and toys from G Edition <laughs> now with a new low price on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, and it, you won't regret it. It's a again a gorgeous book. These aren't just simply quick pictures of your toys. They are their art, and to have the stories, you know, why they all mean so much to you, why they're in your life, how they entang you are entangled with them, they're entangled with you. You know, anytime anyone's ever asked me about any of my toys, it's not. It's never just a, oh, I bought that here. I, I just immediately <laughs> launch into why I have it, why I love it, where it came from. So this book really spoke to that toy collector side of me. Like, you know, it was hard. <laughs> I could relate. I could very much relate. Uh, no, that, see, there's two kinds of people, though, I found. People who walk into, into our house, and the, if the first thing they say is, uh, how do you keep all this shit clean? You know, they don't get it. <laughs> no, no, they don't. <laughs> so, but what was it that initially made you say, you know, because you've been collecting this stuff for years. I mean, what, what year, how old were you when you started this collection? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I always, it's not like I did collect comics. My mom threw them out at some point. I could still right. kill it when I see what the Superman an number one annual goes for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just saw one today, uh, like like eight thousand dollars. I had that. It was in perfect condition, and you sure. threw it out. Uh, yeah, but it's a rite of passage. Everyone has to go through that. But yeah. there were things, toys that I had to have, uh, and and 
and they were very character driven, you know, and, and you can actually track, you know, the evolution from Disney, you know, and Zorro right. <laughs> to Davy Crockett to, to the Flintstones uh, and, and, and beyond. You know, it's so ironic that I did these Scooby-Doo movies because by the time Scooby-Doo debuted 1969, I had a car. I had a girlfriend. I was right. playing. I was playing in a Saturday morning <laughs> basketball league. Right. You know, I wasn't sitting home like I was at twelve. And, right. You know, yeah. You know, uh, uh, and, and actually, when I when I had my first meeting uh, on on Scooby Doo, I couldn't even remember Daphne's name. I had to. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my God, I forgot her. You know, the redhead Mildred, you know? right? Her name's Mildred, right? <laughs> Better not to say it than to say it wrong. So. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so then where, at what point or what was it that made you think, hey, you know, this collection I've been amassing, you know, my entire life, I want to catalog this into a book. I want to put this book together. What was the inspiration that, you know, put that idea in your head? The fact that, you know, you kind of realize that, that, that it's unsustainable <laughs> at yeah. some point. And I wanted to chronicle it and not so much chronicle it uh the collecting as how it intertwined right. with 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 my work uh and, and my life for, for that matter and how how they influenced each other. And so it's really a summary of a half century of work and a half century of collecting and, 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 and how they're codependent sure. <laughs> on each other. And, you know, the... I, but I'm very lucky to have worked on things, you know, happy days, the, the Flint's a beaver. I think, you know, there's huge amount of Scooby-Doo. Uh, there's huge amounts of licensing on these for decades. Sure. <laughs> you know? I'm kind of the same way with my toys though. You know, whenever we have somebody on the show, like, just last week, we had Bob Bergen on, the voice of Porky the Pig. And now, like, there's yeah, a... Yeah, the, yeah, 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 you don't say. Yeah, there we go. But, you know, there, I've got this little thing, like, on the back of my brain now that's saying, okay, you have to put a Porky Pig in your collection somewhere. Like, every time we get someone on the show, you know, that's meant something, like, here in a month, there's going to be a Turbo Man in here. I promise you. All right. I'm not bullshitting you. Well, so you can I certainly can get you can certainly get a a Funko Pop for a reasonable price. <laughs> <laughs> but the book. no, you should have the Porky Pig, and I would recommend I would recommend the the uh, the Iron Porky Pig Bank. <laughs> Ooh, I'm gonna write that down. Well, I don't have to write yeah. it. I'm recording it. Why would I write? Yeah, that's it? Right. Yeah, you can check it out. <laughs> so the 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 book does it cover? your entire collection because your collection is so no big. no no the, the 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 director's cut of the book was 610 pages so we lost Shit. 130 pages <laughs> uh we tightened it up quite quite a bit and, and and there's a lot of things that you know are of interest to me but didn't translate visually predominantly things that are you know flat uh, you know, I mean, there's a few comic book covers and, and, and board game things like that. But the things that that, uh, that really came to life more were the things with dimensionality. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, everything was kind of skewed in, in that direction. So and I, I know you can't talk about them. But you talked about future books, and one of my questions was going to be: um, Would there be? Are there ever going to be more books covering 
what you could not include in the first one. Uh, will we ever? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I'll take another look at it. Um, I, I put together uh, uh, some calendar ideas with oh. a lot of the outtakes. But, you know, in order to do that, I'd have to make license deals with 20 different people. Right. Uh, and it may not be worth it. But, uh, you know, uh, like I said, I've got these designs sitting there. I just got to change the year. <laughs> sure, sure. And and that was a way to utilize a, a lot of the stuff that, that we shot that we that we weren't able to include. And, and, and predominantly, what you know, we have huge numbers of, of group shots. When I say group shots, I'm not talking about like, yes, there's a few shots of six or eight things at a time, but I'm talking about like 80 or 90 right. squeezed into one frame. Uh, and there was a lot of those that, that we weren't able to utilize that would make a great calendar and, and maybe some, maybe some note cards. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, I'd buy it. I'd have that on my wall. Absolutely. <laughs> so down the uh, down the road with your collection, you know, I, I don't know how you think about your collection because again, like I said at the top of this, it's not just a collection of random toys. It's you have you're in possession of a museum. You know, everything yeah. there is a pop culture artifact. It's it's history. So down the road, what what do you see happening with your toys? Like uh, like a museum? Would they ever get them? No, you know, it, you know, I'm not in a position where I could give it to a kids' museum because you'd have to build a wing then <laughs> to house it. It's not like you can say, "Here, take this." You know, then you, yeah, those those things are the things that end up in a basement somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. I I, I may just drop this on my kids. Uh, <laughs> I've always described my toys as a burden for somebody someday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you see it. Oh, some, some estate uh, guy is going to do well. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, you've got to have so, quite a few items in there that you probably have one of the only left in existence, I would imagine, especially some of those older like Flintstone toys or Happy uh, Days I, things. You, you never know. You never know. I, I, I'm very fond of saying, that, that um, when we moved onto our street, it's a street with 13 houses, right? And at the end of the block was this guy who had a 7,500 square foot private museum over his office wow. <laughs> of his company where he, where he displayed every dinky toy ever made out of the box, in the box, in the crate, with the blueprints and and the the, the forges uh, to to make the wow. to make the cars, he collected he collected cars, he collected computers, he collected this. And his wife had the most gorgeous stuff you've ever seen. And 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 they came over uh, uh, and looked at all my stuff, and she says they were English. She said, "Oh, Brian, you have a lovely little collection." Oh my God. <laughs> That's jealousy right there. That's so jealousy. when you don't when you don't even have the best collection on your block. <laughs> no, I think you probably do have the best collection. You can't, on your get, block. You can't you know. <laughs> I just don't think they want to admit it's the best collection on the block. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I no, trust me, this guy, this guy, he was he collected in condition. I don't collect for condition. I collect uh, what you you had a, you had a term impulse buying. Oh, yeah. I see. <laughs> I you see it, you want it. You, you know, it's they, I have. They're like a lollipop. You see a lollipop, you, you know. <laughs> you, 
you're a kid, you'll even go to the dentist to get one. All right. Right. <laughs> so, but you see that lollipop, you got to have it. And that's the way a lot of my toys came home. Do you have an estimated estimated number on how many toys, how many items you have total? I, I, it has to be four or 5,000. Wow. But then, like I said, there, you know, you think you got a, a an incredible Flintstone. You're proud of it. 60 pages that just scratch the surface of it in the book. And then there's this guy, uh, Dave Nimitz, uh, who, who introduced himself to me on Instagram, who, who, who I, I can't believe what this guy has. It puts me to shame. Seriously? You just have no idea. Oh, yes. No, there's so many people with such incredible collections of so many different things, you, you, you know, and, and you see you see what some collectibles sell for. There is an entertainment auction, heritage auctions, uh, you know, a speedy Alka-Seltzer uh, maquette that, you know, was actually moved, you know, for stop motion oh, for wow. ads, sold for like $10,000. Yeah, you know, there was a uh, Buffalo Bob Smith, the host of Howdy Doody. They, uh, his 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 one of his uh, stage worn costumes, sixteen thousand dollars, and that 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 was the cheap stuff in this auction. Wow, <laughs> you, you know, so there are people who are collecting on on a whole different level uh, yeah. uh, than I. What what I think makes mine more interesting is my connection to the material and and how these things have all work together to help me become the the filmmaker that I am and sure. and to to be so receptive to visuals and comedy and 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 really having this kind of intrinsic understanding of franchises and how to exploit them how to continue them how to be true to them more more than anything and create them that was, that was, you know, these are all, you know, pretty basic lessons that, that you know, you acquire by devoting yourself to right. these institutions and, 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 and being a fan and knowing what a fan wants to see from the Flintstones, knowing what a fan wants to see from Happy Days, knowing what a fan wants to see from Leave it to Beaver or Scooby-Doo. Right. Uh, and, and and so in that way, yeah, I guess I'm kind of a fanboy with a dream job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, that that goes so far into making your book so unique. There are other books out there featuring toy collections. I've looked at quite a few of them, but yours stands above the rest because of that very reason. You put yourself into it. It's, it's laced with your life, your experiences. You know, I, I'm a big uh, fan of like Happy Meal toys and, or cereal box toys mm -hmm. is like from the 80s and 90s. And whenever I've looked at those books, they're interesting, don't get me wrong, but there's no there's no personal touch from the person who put it together. There's no really reason or rhyme other than they were all well, in this box. Well, I, I admired the, time, the cereal know? book, uh, uh, the cereal books that, that you mentioned with the prizes. I, I thought those were, were, were really nice. But yeah. for the most part, Scott Bruce, I believe the author is, but most of that wasn't his collection. Right, <laughs> he, right. He, yeah, he went That's to all my, the people yeah. who worked, uh, uh, you know, at General Mills and, and up in Battle Creek, Michigan. <laughs> yeah, know, it's just more of like a history us. book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, but obviously they, they and he, he it's, it's a good I was just looking at it the other day and his lunchbox book. Uh, what he was very good at 
was spotting trends and 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 driving uh, and driving interest in, in in things, reviving interest in lunchbox is serious right. collection and is serial toys and boxes is a serious collection. So I give them props for that. But yeah, no, it it, it is it isn't steeped in someone's life uh, the same way. But that's, I hope. that's that's the charm of your book, though. That's that's the charm. That's what makes it stand apart from those other books. Again, I'm not talking down on those books. I love those books, but yeah. there's there's a lot more I think to be taken from uh, my life and toys. Absolutely, and and you get a good workout just with taking it room to room. <laughs> it's a big book. <laughs> But uh, people can find this book on uh, Amazon and many other places. We're going to put links to it in the notes to this episode, help direct uh, direct people over that way, because our audience is comprised of toy collectors. And I'm telling you guys, you're going to- No, really? I wouldn't have guessed. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Brian, so much for taking time to sit here and talk with me tonight. This has been beyond interesting. Uh, I think we, we could probably sit and- bullshit about toys for quite a bit. Oh, well, you don't want to lose this audience you spent all these years building up. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I doubt. I think it'd be quite the opposite. (laughs) But Brian, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Enjoy. All right. And once again, that was my conversation with Brian Levant. I want to thank him so much again for being on the show because it was a blast. Uh, Sitting and talking with a a fellow toy collector is awesome. And if uh, I had more time, I would have sat and talked his ear off about toys. I'm sure he would have loved that. But uh, anyway, a big thanks to him. You can find links in uh, the episode notes on how to get a copy of My Life and Toys, which again is a gorgeous, gorgeous book. I'm not just saying that to kiss his ass or to get you to spend money. If you're into toys at all, even if you aren't, I think you would enjoy it. But if you're a toy collector, damn. Get this book. And I need to thank Brian really quick because he also sent me a couple of these uh, 3D cards that are the cover of his book that when you move back and forth at the 3D image of the cover of his book, all of his toys lined up like the cover of Sgt. Pepper. And then he signed the back of them for me, which was so freaking cool of him. I'm going to be putting pictures of these on social media so you guys can check them out for yourself. And again, just a huge thanks to Brian because uh, this was just a very cool episode. And with all that being said, I got to remind you guys to find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod, Instagram at Canned underscore Air, and on TikTok at CannedAirPodcast, and at CannedAirPodcast.com. A lot of things to do, but a few different ways on there you can support us. The merch tab, t-shirts, stickers, buttons, hats, hoodies, all that kind of stuff with our logo on it. And uh, also a Patreon link, or you can just go to Patreon.com forward slash CannedAirPod, where for 5 to $10 a month gets you access to a four, three, four-year-old catalog we've been building on monthly that whole time. There's a lot of content on there, people. A lot of hard work's gone into that. And uh, I think it's worth the money, personally. Maybe I'm wrong. That's up to you guys to decide. Um, and once again, our 500th episode is coming up at the end of August. If you have any favorite moments from Candare's history that you would like us to touch on, include in the 500th episode, let us know. Shoot us an email, info at candarepodcast.com, or just shoot us a message on our social media outlets and let us know what that moment is. We'll include it in the episode. Uh, We would love to hear that stuff because we all kind of know what our favorite moments are. We can kind of guess what the other people are going to pick, but what your guys' favorite moments are, we don't have a clue. 
We can see you guys are listening, but we don't typically hear too much from you guys. So let's break that, uh, break the mold. Let's let's start hearing some of those moments so we can get them put in the episode. It really mean a lot to us. All right, I think that was pretty thorough with all that information. So another big thank you to Brian. And uh, until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. Thank you all so much for listening and be excellent to each other. you were grounded. My parents are mean, so I'm running away from home. Where you gotta go? I don't know yet, but that'll show them. <laughs> it sure will. Shipwreck! Parents just don't understand, and it gets lonely on the road, so be sure to listen to the Candair podcast. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. This has been a Candair production. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.